0: Hello, fellow travelers, this is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. And Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. Well, my friends, this is a Christmas special. A Christmas special on a Christmas Carol. I am joined once again by the ever popular, I must say, the ever popular uh, Miss Laura Bastone. Laura, thank you so much for joining us for this Christmas special for the pod.
1: Thank you for having me. Merry Christmas.
0: We are uh, we're we're Rona safe right now. We're zooming just like if we were if we were teaching our classes. Uh, <laughs> once upon a time, I feel like we've been zooming for uh, since last spring, right? Yeah. Um, but this, is, but this is a different kind of Zoom. This is a Christmas Zoom. And, and so we are tackling a Christmas Carol. This is a famous, the famous story by Charles Dickens. Um, I would say uh, it is extremely readable and it is not that long. It's a novella, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are several lovely audiobook uh, versions of this. I even found out when I was talking to my wife, Lisa, about this, that if you have an Audible account or even if you have like a free account, they have a couple that are just available. you don't have to buy that are just like included or whatever. And there's one by Tim Curry that she was listening to the other day, which is a lovely reading. So I uh, highly recommend my friends that you uh, take the time if you haven't already read A Christmas Carol this year uh, to take the time to do that. Uh, Laura and I are gonna be talking about this and we're doing this in part because Laura is a huge Charles Dickens fan. Can it's I say true. that? It's true. And also just because, you know, it's a different kind of Christmas and we kind of want to dig into something that is not uh, uber present tense, but is what is uh, rich and lovely, and is something that both of us were excited to talk about. So Laura, I'm gonna kick it over to you and maybe you could set us up a little bit with some of the background, the context. When is this being written? Um, what's the backdrop in, in London, I'm assuming, is where we are with, uh, with Dickens. Um, but could you tell us a little bit about, maybe the stuff we might not know if we've just sort of seen the movie or even heard it or read it before, but maybe haven't dug into it. Could you tell us a little bit of that, that contextual world of this story?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that's most interesting to me about Dickens, you know, we have, I think a lot of us have this vague memory of who he is, or we like know Oliver Twist or Oliver and Company, we have sort of these vague associations of Mickey Mouse Christmas Carol. Um, So good, by the way, so good. So good. And so there's just sort of these like, I don't know, kind of charming um, perspective on it. I, I kind of, I don't know. Maybe a little light and fluffy because there's been so many adaptations for children, but then when you look at his context, his biography, um, you realize he was actually an activist in a lot of ways, and what he was doing was very intentional in exposing the the situation of his day. And so that is always interesting to me because we think, oh, they're just like charming stories of people named Chuzzlewit and you know <laughs> stuff like that, and and. And actually he is was sort of ferocious in what he was passionate about so um if i'm not mistaken i believe that christmas carol was written when he was in his 30s mm. so he's a young man yeah,
0: yeah that's right
1: yeah he's and my, 18,
0: my he's born in 1812 this is like at 18 i think it's 1843. 1843 yeah yeah so right there yeah
1: so i always just am, I, I again my vision of dickens is always as this old man sort of writing you know funny names right but but this is a young man who's really passionate so a lot of different biographers and and history of a christmas carol reference the fact that in 1843 a couple important things happen Mm -hmm. Um, a parliamentary report on britain's child laborers came out and we we know through letters and and things he's written he was obviously an avid writer but also journal and, and letters to friends that he was really aghast and says he was, he was stricken by the horrible report on child labor in Britain. Um, and so that's part of the motivation people think for A Christmas Carol because it's the same year it was, it was published. So he decides, you know, I, I want to write something uh, about the poor and on behalf of the poor children, and how do I help them? Um, so he considered writing a pamphlet, writing some sort of, you know, political rant about it, um, but that didn't end up happening. Instead, it was what people think is that this story is some kind of what came out um, in, instead of, you know, kind of this think piece hot take on, on child labor in, in Britain right. as a story. And then uh, a few months later, so towards the end of 1843, we have him um, giving a speech for an educational charity that he was a a large part of. And again, a number of biographers bring up this point. This is in October, 1843. He gives this speech sort of about the importance of educating the poor, providing for the poor, not just giving them food, but also enlivening their hearts and minds. And then six weeks later, A Christmas Carol comes out. <laughs> and so it, it, it was written extremely quickly. Um, we know that um, Dickens' biographer says that once the story was conceived, it's he says Dickens wept over it and laughed and wept again and excited himself to an extraordinary degree. And he would think wander London streets late at night thinking about it. Um, and so he was just sort of, yeah on fire passionate about this thing he had come up with this sort of ghost story he talked to his publishers about it and some of his desires to publish and sort of make this statement about the poor and what's needed in britain but they were not very interested in publishing it Um, they thought that i think it was probably a like leave the message after the beep type thing like we don't Mm -hmm. want your preachy stories apparently he had just been writing martin chuzzlewit which wasn't as popular as his previous and so um they refused his publishers refused to pay the full costs and so dickens paid the rest himself um and actually he left the publisher the next year because he was so mad about it because it was as I'm sure you can imagine an instant success sold thousands of copies that year and the following year in just a few months I believe in just a few months it was on stage so like people went wild for it as they did for most things that Dickens put his hand to at the time and so um yeah, 6,000 copies were published on the 19th of December, that same year, 1843. And um, on Christmas Eve, he received a letter from his publishers saying it would be necessary to reprint. So they had to do a, a reprint within a week. Um,
2: That's
0: crazy.
1: So it, it was just a wild success. It was one of those moments where the publishers were probably kicking themselves. They lost Dickens. Yeah. <laughs> um.
0: It's interesting because you, you, you point out. Uh, well, you point out two things. The one is that report on the on the conditions of the children who are um, like the full report's name is the Employment and Conditions of Children in Mines and Manufactories. Mm. Um, it, what's interesting about that is that does seem to be sort of like the impetus behind much of this, as you say. Instead of writing a pamphlet, um, you know, decrying child labor laws that don't exist or decrying child labor. Mm. Um, it, but it's interesting because I don't usually think I, I do think of Tiny Tim but I don't think of a Christmas Carol, largely as sort of all about kids right I think of like, mm-hmm. of course that but but just that the conditions of poverty uh, is why there are all these child labor issues. So mm-hmm. even, even like thinking that instead of writing a pamphlet, but also instead of writing a story all about children right he writes a story about a miser. He writes a story about Mm -hmm. money, right? About the uses of money, who has it, who doesn't have it. So it's even like, it's even kind of subtle in, in the sense that you don't normally think of maybe a Christmas girl as being at all subtle, right? It seems like such a classic sort of Uh, you know, turn your life around kind of story, but precisely in those terms, it's like, wait, well, who's turning their life around for what reason, right? Like it has this, this social dimension that is not as on the nose as I thought before uh, digging into a a little bit of this background that you're talking about, like this, this uh, report on child labor is extraordinary. I read uh, some excerpts from it and it was illustrated. It was 1800 pages long. It took them over a year to do it they I mean it was like this full-on investigation and what they found is that children as young as four years old were regularly working in places like coal mines because the tunnels and shafts were so small they couldn't fit horses down there and grown men and stuff had you know had trouble stooping so they literally would have like belts tied around kids and the belts would be attached to like a coal car where it would be like two feet high in the tunnels. And this is, they didn't just find this like one place, it was just the normal practice.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: and and they would say a four year old, I think was the youngest they found, but it was pretty common six and above at any wow. age. It wasn't just boys, it was boys and girls. And there's this whole other dimension. This is super disturbing to the report about girls working in these mines right alongside men and like all sorts of horrible things, right? Uh-huh. Um, and, and so it was like, I mean, it really was like this, damnable thing about England uh, industrial era kind of booming all these things and then this just total like undercurrent this like uh, literally under the crust of the earth right Mm -hmm. so many of these kids are down there in these mines or in like blacking factories like he worked in right when his when his own father was, um, was uh, in debtor's prison, or well, actually most right. most of his family was in debtor's prison. Mm-hmm. I think he was 12 years old when he was working in factories to pay off or pay down some of that, uh, that debt. So, I mean, like, like you said, he's so worked up over this, but I also find it kind of amazing that he worked, uh, I don't want to just say intelligently, but almost like slightly indirectly to address things like that in particular. And again, like maybe you, the view I have of Dickens is he, he given to caricature, right? Like that he, right. uh, Mister Angry Man, Mister Scrooge, right? Like this is like it's Mister. Oh, he must be the bad guy, but like that this is about um, poverty, economics, the working class, and the and the poor um, more than it's just about hey, you know, uh, you know, middle to upper class people. Here's a, a way to feel better and enjoy Christmas even more, right? Yeah. Like mean, even that like that kind of dimension about it uh, was really striking to me. Now, as you, were, as you were digging into that, and as you say, it just explodes. So it, be, it mm-hmm. takes on a life of its own and it becomes just sort of like an immediate standard of Christmas celebration and Christmas and everything like that. But at this time, 18, what are we at, 1843? Yep. Uh, what is Christmas like in England? I mean, what do we know about Christmas celebration? Is it what we imagine it to be based on, I mean, is it more or less similar to how we think of Christmas in our time?
1: So the things that I do know about this era of Christmas, it's not extensive. Um, A significant portion of it comes from the BBC masterpiece show, Victoria. If you you haven't seen it, I would recommend highly. Um, So yeah, the the idea of a lot of these Christmas traditions coming around in late 1830s, early 1840s, because of the Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, um, bringing in some of these Traditions from from Eastern Europe. We're having you know a tree in your house and um, All these carols and songs. So there was there was uh, Practice of Christmas before Um, It's not like some people I read an article in which a man was a historian was very frustrated with the idea that Dickens invented Christmas Mm -hmm. Um, That he was sort of arguing he didn't invent Christmas he he popularized uh, uh, version of it, but it it was practiced in a certain way before. Um, But I did see that, where was it? In, it was a year or two later, was the idea of the first Christmas card. Oh yeah, 1843 was also the year, coincidentally, in which the very first Christmas card was commercially published. (laughs) Um, And so there was sort of a, a new fashionable fervor for Christmas, it's what, Victoria was doing she was throwing Christmas parties and Christmas so in the same way that she popularized you know the white wedding dress it was sort of Mm -hmm. everybody has a Christmas tree and everybody um sings the same carols and has sort of this experience um something that you can probably speak to a, a little bit more is the difficult relationship that England had with Christmas in in the years leading up to the 1800s I I wasn't as familiar with um sort of the back and forth of Christmas being allowed and then not allowed and then allowed again.
0: Right, right, right. So yeah, you're talking about like, I mean, this is, so in the 17th century, English civil wars, right? You're talking about a moment in which um, Oliver Cromwell becomes sort of Lord Protectorate of the Commonwealth. England has this Republic moment, right? And under Cromwell and the Roundheads, I mean, these are austere Puritans uh, of a very, they're radical Puritans of, of a very particular kind. And so for them, The idea of indulging, right? The idea of um, rich foods, of drink, right? Like they they think this is a time of drunkenness. This is a time of excuse. For them, it was like, it was like carnival, but in Christ's name, right? And they thought Mm -hmm. like, that's the most absurd sort of affront, right? To the spirit Mm -hmm. of of Jesus's birth to the spirit of the incarnation that we would use as an excuse for vice, and so it was. It was. It was disallowed. It was. Uh, it was. Everything was sort of subtracted during those years, and and then because of that, because that wasn't, you know, it wasn't just Cromwell and a handful of people in England happened to be, you know, radical Puritans. It was like a lot of people. <laughs> <in England. laughs> In England, uh, were Puritans, and a lot of people in the Anglican Church, you know, had had a, a pretty difficult time reconciling that, and they thought indulgence, luxury, uh, pomp, festivity, that was royalist, you know, that was monarchist, mm-hmm. that was that was like you're saying, that's like something a queen would do, right? right. Um, and so, and so that kind of that tension between sort of the uh, the ordinary, but the, also the Roundhead sort of uh, Cromwellian republic kind of vibe meant that England had moments in which it was like deliberately and legally against this kind of Christmas or this kind of indulgence as they would see it, right? Um, I mean, it just strikes me by contrast how, if you're reading A Christmas Carol, how unbelievably interested in food and and uh, and you know, tastes and the the sensual kind of aspects by the time let's say when we do get sort of the ghost of, of Christmas present, you know, especially, there's yeah. just like this incredible descriptive power of of what what <laughs> what Cromwellians would have would have seen as precisely vice right like mm-hmm. this is like instead of talking about jesus <laughs> you're talking about you know roasted pig you know you're talking about all of these enjoyable delicacies and things like that so yeah england has definitely a mixed history with that kind of you know, it was very English in that sense to be very austere about Christmas. And now you're describing a moment 1837 onward with Queen Victoria in which the festivity and the sort of um, enjoyment, uh, I wouldn't use indulgence, that's pejorative, but the enjoyment of Christmas is a new thing, right? By the time he's writing that, even that vibe is a new thing, uh, bringing Christmas trees in from Germany, et cetera, uh, is a new thing. So so yeah, this is an interesting thing because he sort of almost, Maybe then he's catching a wave, um, right? That's sort of right. is new. He's not inventing it himself, but it is still very young as a way of celebrating. Uh, we were talking about a little bit earlier, but it's not even clear that people would take the day off, right, for Christmas right. that they wouldn't that they wouldn't even work on that they would actually typically work on Christmas. That that this isn't some obvious national holiday in the way that we think of it for our context, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So his story is going a far distance and ultimately because of its popularity seems to go a far distance to creating uh, the very things we sort of assume maybe about Christmas Uh, and maybe we can look at that by the time especially we get to sort of the ending um, with its sort of rosy glow about you know the spirit of Christmas and things like that. But I think that's really important to just say uh, he wasn't describing things that were like Oh, yes, of course, (laughs) like he's promoting a spirit of enjoyment, especially thinking of the poor classes, having like a chance of enjoying something. Um, Maybe we could talk a little bit more about that, about like that idea that he is furious about the treatment of the poor, furious about the social conditions of the poor. Um, And he's writing something that is very much concerned with being entertaining and Mm. and enjoyable and accessible in that sense to people maybe of any class you think that's fair
1: Mm -hmm. I think so yeah and and we have we have evidence of oh there's some story it's not Christmas Carol but there's another one of his stories that Queen Victoria read and was struck by right we have evidence of other authors at his time reading it and and being very impressed by it like his wild popularity in an era where not everyone was receiving high education shows that, um, yeah, people people were just hanging on every word of his, and and he was, yeah, as you mentioned, like he he was envisioning a um, a world that other people wanted as well. They wanted in on this on on this vision that he had, um, and, and on this beauty. So yeah, he was. It it, it seems as though the. Th- who he was and, and how he wrote was just eminently attractive to the people of his era.
0: And he's so performative, right? He comes over to the States and I mean, right. that's famous on both sides, but it's a famous anecdotes about him giving these readings in which people are, it's like they're, it's like they're in a movie. It's like they're in a play. Mm-hmm. He's giving these performative readings of his work. It is so unbelievably arresting and entertaining that, as you say, it, it almost went beyond beyond the printed page, it went, it was, a, it was a performance. It was like a, maybe in that sense, the characters are so vivid. Again, we might be like, Oh, you know, they're a little caricaturish, but they're performative. It's almost like, you know, when you go to the, the, the stage, right. When you see a stage play, you're not mm-hmm. like, well, you know, people don't talk that loudly, <laughs> you know, like there's a performative aspect to it. Right. That's yes. part of like the enjoyment of it being a different kind of experience than just some form of realism. Right. Even though mm-hmm. he has those elements. Um, it is, it is a little louder, right? It is a little more extravagant. It is a little, but precisely for that reason, let's say uh, for the illiterate to be able to enjoy, right? Like, you know, the groundlings of a sort, you know, being able to hear these stories and remember them vividly because they are so, so powerful in the performative side of things. Uh, That seems to be a, a big part of the reason that he is um, both uh, popular but also that he is popular amongst the populace right which is his his obvious interest is is those who tend to get overlooked and are being mistreated in, in a variety of ways. So that's an interesting like side of his sort of the form of his writing as well. Um, if, if we just jumped into like the opening so famously right as I read uh, opens with death. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with Jacob Marley, Marley is dead, right? Like he's as dead as you can be. It's really important. He says, there's nothing about the story will work unless you understand how dead he was, right?
2: Yes,
0: (laughs) which is hilarious. This is amazing, right? And then it immediately goes into this, this dead sort of ghost encounter moment, right? When Mm -hmm. does go home that first night. And, and this is like, it's horrifying, right? I mean, Christmas Carol is a ghost story. Right, it is a. It's that's literally like the subtitles, like a. Uh-huh. Um, but it is like this story of, I mean, it's a really intense uh, vision when he gives Marley as like someone whose life was misspent in greed, overlooked the poor, all the things that that uh-huh. we've been talking about, um, and cannot redeem it on some level, right? No. Like, right? like he's like, I have to drag these chains around, like basically they keep me from being able to help people like that's what's so crazy about dickens description of the ghosts or of the ghost the haunting is they're dragging chains around it's almost like in their death they have sort of had their conscience and their eyes their eyes have been opened to the reality of what they did and did not do and now they see everywhere where there are where there are needs but they cannot help I mean, there's like these, there's just, I mean, like it's such a deep like Dante-esque, you know, almost like mm-hmm. form a form of torment or something, right? Yes. Um, so we open with death. We don't think of, do we think of death at Christmas a lot? Do we, I mean, <laughs> besides this year? Um, <laughs> I mean, like, what do we do with this, this as a haunting or as a, as a ghost story or as a story about, about, about the dead? Uh, you have these, you have after Marley goes, when Scrooge looks out the window, he's like, he just sees like, like these people, like these Uh ghosts, like everywhere. I mean, there's like a glimpse right into like this other dimension of England's reality, in which the dead are like dragging themselves around. uh, And they're unable to help anyone they're unable to sort of reach out to redeem themselves or something, right? Like, it's, it's an extraordinary way of thinking about a Christmas Story starting, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what 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 do you think of that? What do you think of Dickens' choice here to to sort of focus on the dead or on Marley being dead or on this sort of this ghostly sort of uh, haunting of of the living?
2: Yeah,
1: interesting. And I don't know if you're hearing the echo I'm hearing. <laughs> oh, it's gone now. Okay. Um, as you mentioned, when Marley leaves Dickens look or not Dickens, Scrooge looks out the window mm. and he sees these other, other ghostly creatures. And, and that's really the first time that Scrooge's eyes are open to what he calls the misery. Right. I mean, he sees this really alarming picture of a, a, a wretched woman with an infant asleep on a, on a doorstep in December. Um, and so that's sort of the first, and, and it says that the, the spirit is cried piteously at being unable to assist her.
2: It's and so, so this, uh,
1: yeah, so creepy, this idea that there are spirits all around us weeping at their inability to help the people who need help, that the dead, like the dead wish they could help um, and, and wish they had the agency that the living had. And so, yeah, right from the get go, it's, it's a lot of pressure on the reader to yeah. think about who was around you and what's happening. And um, uh, yeah, the people who went before you, what would they think of the way you're behaving? And oh yeah, it, it, is, it starts off on this very intense scene, um, which even as a kid, I remember being scary. Um, in right. like these, the childish adaptations right. of, of this ghost appearing to you and and something you know his jaw falling to the ground and the, <laughs> um and and so yeah he and pretty quickly Scrooge is moved by it.
2: He, yes,
1: he's not. I, he more quickly than than I think my childhood memory has it. Right. He is like, please help me, like help help me save me. Um, And then Marley's not there to, to terrify him. He's there out of his own good, like desire and goodwill Mm
2: -hmm. to, to
1: save Scrooge. Um, And so that's an interesting reframing of, of sort of ghosts as like these, these creatures of goodwill who Hmm. are, but they're tormented by their inability to do anything. Yes.
0: That's so fascinating, right? Those lines that you, you uh, were looking at with the, the, the woman and the infant out in the cold. So right, uh, right before that, the, the passage starts, the air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. This is incredible. Some few, they might be guilty, governments were linked together. So they're like ghosts that are chained together. And he's like, they might be guilty, like leaders of states, <laughs> Right. <laughs> incredible. Um, none were free. None were free. Many had been personally known to Scrooge in their lives. He had been quite familiar. And then this is the one he had been quite familiar with one old ghost in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to its ankle who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom it saw below upon a doorstep. You talk about that pressure on the reader. We Uh go because he is immediately recognizing not just Marley, but these other dead. It's like they're recent dead, right? They are familiars, right? They're familiar dead. And as you say, they are moaning and groaning because they cannot help. And I mean, you and I um, taught um, like Our Town, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, In American literature at the school. And the dead there are not like that at all, right? The dead there are like, oh, you know, you can't really you can't really go back and you can't really you know it's there's no reason they're they're very detached right um like they're aware but they're just detached, right they're not like in any way being affected in that strong sense right and 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 these ghosts it's like their their hearts are like pierced (laughs) Mm -hmm. and their torment is that they cannot redeem even though they can see Mm -hmm. how they could right they see how they should um, and so I love how you say that it puts an enormous amount of pressure on the reader because we are alive. And yeah. so, yeah.
1: And, and I often, you know, when you think of ghosts, the moaning of ghosts, right. Is often, um, they do that to horrify the living or mm-hmm. they do it, um, out of their own misery, right? right. They're like, cause they're mourning, they're moaning over their pain and what happened to them. Right. These but, in, heavy in, chains, et but in this it's they're moaning at, at the pain of the world of others. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting flip on its head of how I normally view the role of,
2: of ghosts.
0: So then when he goes, then can, when he, he says he's okay, you're going to be visited by these three ghosts mm. and it's going to be sort of past, present, future, right? So that's a, that's a pretty clear kind of a nice sort of setup there. The past though, is, is interesting in a, in a few ways. The past that he has brought to, I mean, first of all, this first ghost, you know, I mean, like I always think of Jiminy Cricket, but like in the actual story, it's very strangely described, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think it says something like it it, look, it looks like a person, but it's sort of very small mm-hmm. and and it and it has like a hat and it's like, it has like a candle flame for a head almost. Right, yeah,
1: there's like, it's so almost too bright to look at.
0: Yeah. And, but it's like this weird sort of, it's sort of like a person, but it's like this, it's kind of disturbingly not quite. Um, and then the size of it. And, and so then the, I picture, you know, if we're thinking about just size or spatial, or whatever, the past, it's like, it's bright, but it's not taking a lot, up a lot of space, right? It's small. So it's like, I don't know, I think about like when you when you think back, there are certain memories that are unbelievably vivid, right? They like, mm-hmm. they shape you like you, you return to them often or whatever. But if you think about it, the vast majority of things are are not remembered, right? The past is not that much with us. And there seems to be like a, a, a wispish, a very small sort of discrete quality to even this first ghost that represents this past. Um I'm just thinking of the size in particular, because when we go to the ghost of Christmas present, it's an enormity, right? It's huge. And that's in part, I imagine at least because the present is all right. It is everything immediately now. And it just takes up all that space in our attention. The past though, does not take up that kind of space. It's there. And I think, as you say, if you looked at it, it actually is incredibly bright Um, but it doesn't take up that much space, I think, in the day-to-day. And that's at least how I'm understanding Dickens handling some of the the size of the ghosts. But when this spirit does take Scrooge, he takes him, I mean, he takes him to a couple of places, but um, the first place he takes him is to like the boarding school, right? Where Scrooge was a boy. And, you know, I saw someone, I saw the theologian my gosh, it was the theologian John Milbank of all people on Twitter, not four days ago, Badstone, <laughs> that was talking about how, and you kind of said this yourself too, um, talking about how a lot of times when we think of a Christmas Carol, we think of him changing because of the terror of the last ghost at the yeah. very end,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: And like, okay, now he's like, oh, you know, I, I, I need to change. But um, you already pointed out his desire to change just in talking with Marley, Already, like something gets stirred, um, even though we think of him as like you know this impenetrable, cold-hearted person. Right away, he's he's starting to get moved by these events. And then uh, Milbank was pointing out, or maybe he was agreeing with someone else who was pointing out, um, it's when Scrooge begins to look at himself, when he when he revisits himself as a as a child, as a little as a little boy, who is left out, right, who is alone who is disregarded, who is overlooked, right? I mean, it's like, you know, Dickens doing some, I don't know, it's it's pop psychology, but some like, some real sort of like digging, you know, into, you know, why does a person become so closed off, right? Like, why does a person, whatever, like I, I find that as an extraordinary thing that we go back to this unbelievably sensitive moment of him being disregarded as a kid.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, the ghost of Christmas past is devastating. I yeah. mean, forget the Christmas future um, because we know it's avoidable. But the, the ghost of Christmas past, I mean, he visits his old school. Um, the ghost says, the school is not quite deserted. A solitary child neglected by his friends is left oh. there still. And then it says, Scrooge said he knew it and he sobbed. So like immediately oh, he's sobbing. Yeah. His, he's remembering his childhood when he was he was the only child left behind in his boarding school at christmas oh
0: my gosh
1: and then his like saint of a sister shows up and is like um um father is so much kinder than he used to be and home's <laughs> yeah. like heaven he said you're allowed to come home and oh just like oh scrooge oh
0: my um, gosh poor little scrooge Little Ebenezer. Little Ebenezer. I, I heard somebody, somebody told me once, and I think it was, it, was an, it was an older pastor, and he said, you know, anytime you uh, feel tempted to sort of be really frustrated or angry or whatever with people, just remember everyone is actually just a little boy and a little girl. Oh, and it, I remember him saying that, I remember feeling really rebuked in the most like subtle way imaginable, because as soon as yeah. he said, that, I just want to start crying. I was just like, oh my gosh, it's true. It's true. We're all just mm-hmm. this little person, you know, who is like really, really vulnerable, who things have happened to, you know, I, I just like, I remember that comment. I was like, everyone you see is just a little boy or a little girl. Like that's that's what people are, and I was like, "Jeez, Louise!" But that's that's exactly what what this moment is, right? It's like mm-hmm. he just starts sobbing. Like you get through all the layers of all the protestations of all the justifications, and he is just he's just aching over, you know, having been in this place as a young child and being left out and being not wanted, not not loved, right? And mm-hmm. and as you say, it's like oh it's brutal but it starts there like if we're gonna go anywhere we need to reckon with this fact right like instead of we're gonna eventually get to that place like maybe like like lay on the couch and let's work back through the onion you know or whatever. yeah but like I love Dickens that's what's so refreshing about Dickens is you know we might describe I don't know you we know, say oh well Tolstoy or whoever is so, technically a better realist about the way people blah 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 right there might mm-hmm. be like literary critiques that that have a certain kind of uh, value to them um, but you know what like Dickens will just punch through a wall and get to the point and everyone will start
2: crying yep. and
0: so <laughs> So, so that that is worth all the things right is to just get right to the point sometimes like that. Mm -hmm. And I love that he I mean, what a task to set himself to just say that's what we're starting we're just going to start where that place where everyone is the most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you say the pressure, I love how you said that the pressure on the reader. Um, the living right the pressure on the living the pressure on the reader because we're in that interesting place where we're like well I'm not Scrooge my gosh right like immediately uh, have a distance from him being this this terribly you know cold unfeeling greedy person Um, I can also think of another pastor who said no one has ever come into my office and said I really struggle with greed like that's not a sin that people ever think they struggle with right yeah, And so I was like, I just, there's a couple of things there where it's like the reader could be very tempted to just be like, okay, I'm not this. And let's see how this story about this awful person, you know, works out. But then there are these, um, there's these powerful moments where no one is left uh, out, right? Everyone is included in mm-hmm. where we're going, right? We're all traveling there together um, in that common experience, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what did you think? I mean, the the ghost of Christmas past, I I don't know what to say except that that he goes to places where you have that sense that there's just nothing you can do, right? Like there, mm-hmm. you you don't have power in that place, right? You mm-hmm. you can only watch, you can only observe, um, and that is like that's really hard, right? Memory is really hard. The past is really hard since it can't be changed. Do you mm-hmm. think that sets? Do you think that sets things to be sort of like? does the reader get the sense, okay, well, as we move forward, that there's like, at least there's increasing amounts of hope, because at least we're moving into spaces where we can act or where we are like, we are having agency again, rather than sort of ending up in that memory or, or whatever that we start there. But then it kind of maybe it oxygenates the room more and more as we get into places where we could see the ability to, to do something.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Dickens as that activist as that that do something right like it stirs that desire
2: mm-hmm.
0: to do well, think, something
2: and i think
1: that's why you know he, he creates scrooge as this old man um it's, it's the end of the road and so we as the reader are when we we watch scrooge looking back at his his youth um and his his younger christmases and we see him regretting the things he has done or not done in the past and then, so we as a reader um whatever stage we're in are like well I I know I'm not Scrooge but I, I, I don't want to become him I don't want to you know look at the end of my days with that regret and even like you know one of the best names in literature Mr and Mrs Fezziwig go. Um, oh. he 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 looks back he's watching this memory of this Christmas party that just it says just cost a couple pounds right. and he says immediately Again, Dickens not waiting around. There's no time. You got to keep moving. No he says immediately, like, "Oh, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all." So, he, like, his wheels are already spinning. Yeah, right. As he sees, like, "Oh, Fezziwig is this generous, happy boss? Am I a generous, happy boss? No. <laughs> I wish I could talk to Bob Cratchit."
2: Yeah. <laughs> and it's just
1: like immediate. But I, I love that because yeah. we can move through the process um, in reading him, you know, talking as you and I often do about literature as a formative experience, uh, um, that I can feel, I can feel his guilt and then hopefully avoid some of his mistakes. Um, because yeah, I, I don't want to feel that sense of powerlessness when I look at my own life that, that he's currently feeling.
0: I love how you highlighted the fact that he's he makes note of Fezziwigs and how much money he does or does not have to Mm -hmm. to make something good, right? Like that it doesn't take much, that that's so much the spirit of this story is that that accessibility of enjoyment, of goodness, right? Of kindness. Mm -hmm. Um, And that he has experienced it himself. And, and as you said, it immediately just, just, just peaks his heart to, to, want to participate in it right it, it like it pulls him into that like desire to do that himself uh, and and to to bring that feeling to others because it was such a sharp feeling for him I love that I love that uh, and I love I love being able to sort of celebrate the the value of of Dickens bluntness and his and maybe impatience with a lot of the things mm. that we even can stuffily be like oh, this is you know high literature or whatever It's like, okay, but sometimes, you know, just need a fire lit underneath you, Mm -hmm. or sometimes need to say things as they are. And, and he is, is so good at doing that, without worrying about right, like without worrying about Oh, well, this will this appear to whatever, like, there's just such a boldness about that kind of style. When, Mm -hmm. when we get to um when we get to the ghost of christmas present i think it's a second night so i mean these are over three different nights is that right right it mm-hmm. happened like so which is kind of remarkable because we don't get like and then he went to work and talked no. to bob right <laughs> it's just like and then the following night and you're almost like right. Geez, so it's almost like does he have that time after he gets back from the spirit where he has the day to sort of rationalize mm-hmm. it as he tries to rationalize Marley's ghost and saying, you know, you're a bit of undigested beef or whatever that line is, right? Yeah, got so um, a
1: spot of mustard or yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's so weird because we skip over the day, but it doesn't seem like any changes actually happen in the day because it goes right to the next night mm-hmm. with the spirit. And I think that's really interesting that it like takes, it takes multiple times to like really convince and compel that you could, that you or I, or anyone, the reader could feel stirred, right, to do something. But so often, as you, as as we all know, um, we are, we're sort of, we're more likely to be slacktivists, right? We're, we're more likely to click a button and be like, yeah, look at my Instagram photo, um, instead of actually do anything, right?
1: Right, right, yeah, yeah, and, and, I think I, we have to spend just a, a moment. I could talk about this book forever, which is going to be the problem, but we have to spend just a second talking about, he goes like how the ghost transports him from place to place really quickly. And yeah. suddenly we're on this Christmas where he's getting dumped by <laughs> like the love of his life because yes. he's so greedy. And we don't get to see that transition at all. Like we don't know, we don't get to see, we go from like happy Fezziwig party to, um, scrooge i will always love you ebenezer i will always love you but you're not the man you once were you're just greedy now and like what happened to him in those years we don't really get it but but it's it's the devastation you know of with a heart full of love uh with a full heart for the love of him you once were ebenezer like goodbye i release you from your promise to me like oh and so <laughs> um so we we don't even get the full his full story we just get like these three snippets of how he became who he is yeah. um, that are really all you need to know so then when you get to Christmas present you're like oh okay you actually we have some sympathy for him as a reader
2: mm. uh,
1: of just how somehow he's been led astray and and we, we saw who he once was and now he's he's come so far Um that he, he's unrecognizable to like his former self.
0: That's interesting that you say that because it also then implies um, a little more subtlety obviously between reader and scrooge, right? Because the implication is he knows, right? Yeah. That he he's aware of this this gap, but we're we're like, whoa, you know, that we're kind of startled by it. Um, but then it does as 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 close as we are to the story, it does imply that distance between a person and their like their past, right? Like their Mm -hmm. memory. Like he would know all the thousand different moments that led to that other scene. Mm -hmm. But we just see it as this this shocking sort of you know devastating moment. Um and and that that in that there's almost a protection. Um, because you know it could be easy to say he's like psychoanalyzing and he's trying Mm -hmm. to past and you go to your childhood moments of vulnerability. Um but he's actually having quite a bit of respect for the diversity, or the the kind of uh, the fullness of that past, by by not trying to walk everything out, right? By just saying, you know what, this this person, you know, knows what this is. We we are just along for a ride of a sort. We're we're peering over their shoulder, but that is all we are doing, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that seems significant as well. I was listening to someone talk about it was like a debate. I think it was a BBC sort of debate of whether or not Dickens was like very Christian right yeah. they're like is this a christian story is this is christian that's a good question and it was interesting cuz it was a bunch of scholars and um, more of them said he well, he's sort of generally vaguely you know christian and and then this other one was like no he's like very seriously christian but his christianity was not the kind you you talked a lot about
2: mm-hmm. it was an
0: interior life that you would never sort of broadcast or try to to show right that it was a deeply personal thing right that you can see in his letters you can see in in places but it isn't it isn't part of his like propaganda right it isn't part of his like agenda in that sense and so it was a really even just hearing them like debating but that guy's it just struck me i just remembered um, that as you were talking about um that third memory that he has this at least from the scholar's perspective that he his his understanding or his Uh, version of christianity was just deeply personal but for that reason was not something that needed discussed right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. um and you know you could you could question that and all these sorts of things but it's interesting to think of scrooge himself even with the the caricature like name and everything else having a deeply personal life that we don't have full access to even though we have more than anyone maybe would expect right Mm -hmm. that we still are are kept out of someone's Deeply interior life, and we just we just get the quotes, right? We just get the reactions to it or whatever. Uh, that that does seem like that's that's a pretty important uh, part of what Dickens is doing here, in his in his haste, as you say, as <laughs> he opts yeah. one thing to the next. All right. Um, okay. So the ghost of Christmas present.
1: Yes. Before okay. we dive into the ghost of Christmas present, I have an important question for you, okay. oh. which is: Have you ever had goose?
0: Oh my gosh. Uh,
1: There was so much discussion of goose in Christmas present.
0: Okay. So I see, I'm going to, I'm going to put myself to shame here. I believe I could be wrong. I believe that one of my friends, so I have to say this. Um, I I, so in love with the Fezziwig moment. um, Mm -hmm. Thought that one of the best things a person could do was to have uh, Fezziwigs every year where Mm -hmm. you Mm invited your friends over for Christmas dinner.
2: Oh, I love that.
0: And, uh, and so in that, in that mode, um, I, I, I can think of, I believe someone has either, <laughs> it's goose or duck. They're gonna kill me if they hear this. Um, but uh, it's, not, it's not vivid enough for me to, to, to say for sure if I've had it, I think I may have had it at a Fezziwig celebration. Um, okay. Have you? is the question never
1: never Never. okay
0: so we don't really know for sure Uh,
1: and well in all this yeah there's so much duck discussion okay i've had duck duck. i mean duck and goose okay i've had
0: i've had duck quesadillas okay i don't even know how to explain that i know it doesn't sound maybe as great but it really was really great duck was it was very like tender you know, it made but made me think too much. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, when you when you haven't had an animal before, it makes you think yeah. a little too much about the animal. So um, either way, um, yes, goose, duck, the the ghost of Christmas present. I mean, okay, it's a giant, right? It's a giant. jolly giant, and it's all about food. And all about food. Like, unbelievable, indulgent, like wonderful, sensual sort of descriptions of <laughs> of food. You know, it's just like. Mm-hmm. Oh, my foods. Um, and, I'm and gonna, it,
1: Can I read a passage of oh, some of the Please do. here? Yeah, please do. Because, yeah, his house is covered in food. <laughs> Heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, geese, game poultry, brawn, great joints of meat, sucking pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red hot chestnuts, cherry cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense 12th cakes and seething bowls of punch. That made the chamber dim with their delicious steam like i don't i don't know what some of those are but i want it all yeah,
0: exactly I, I don't know what several of those are but they <laughs> all sound wonderful and and i love that so the the ghost of christmas Present, but this is a haunting right that's what's right. so strange right like this is like <laughs> this is a this is a haunting and so we, we've come to be like a little nervous about these ghosts this one you almost forget that you're supposed to be nervous that it's a ghost because it's just like oh wow what a feast! I just want to be there so bad. Um, so yeah, my theory, at least on on why this ghost is giant, is because is because the present is is everything, right? It's always the it's always the most important thing. It's always the most decisive election. It's always right. It's the presentism of any age. It's just like whatever's happening right in front of me is all that matters. It's just it takes up all the space, and it seems un it, it seems disproportionately significant to anything that's come before. And anything that I can't imagine will come after, right? So I, I love, uh, I love that this this creature, this giant ghost, just takes up that much room, mm-hmm. and and yet it is it is jolly in a way that the Ghost of Christmas Past. I don't know if it had a mood, but it was pretty low key. If it did, right, mm-hmm. like it pretty brutal, pretty mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. Like not a lot of emotional anything. Um, this is just joy, right? This is like like excitement goodness and yet scrooge is not that guy right like Mm -hmm. this is is more like fred this is more like his nephew right this is more like like the vision of what people like fred try to draw him into um is Diggins saying like this is what the present ought to be that this is the present could be um how how do you how do you read the ghost Hmm. of Christmas present or or just the 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 sort of the vibrance, uh, the vibrant nature of this of this present kind of ghost because he doesn't go to just good scenes, but they are all good in a way, right? They're not this sort of extravagant, right. but he's very interested in like cheer and warmth, yes. and goodness yes. and enjoyment. Um so where does he take Scrooge? Where where, where what are a couple of the scenes that we go to with the ghost of Christmas the
1: ghost. present? So I I appreciate the ghost of Christmas present um for its uh multiple they're not scrooge related necessarily they're multiple little snippets see i think he takes him to the most places where like or just for a paragraph or on a boat at sea where they're like singing a christmas carol where right, they're right. in the, they're in the mine a miner's home for half a second mm. properly celebrating christmas um and so there's kind of these interesting um Little, little thoughts uh, one of the things that stood out to me most in this reading, which I haven't paid attention to before, is when they are just sort of, um, uh, they visit the baker's shop and it's Christmas day and, and the bakeries have left their doors open and their ovens on for the poor to cook their meals because the poor don't have ovens. And even the poor, as they're like waiting in line to cook their dinner, are cheerful um there's a couple moments where they get grumpy and then they apologize to each other and they're like oh we're so sorry it's i can't be mad even on christmas right and and the spirit like sprinkles them all with like sort of his magic pixie dust of like
2: christmas
1: cheer and their meals are going to be the best meals they have all year um because of of christmas present and so i i thought that was a especially interesting moment um probably just because I, I hadn't paid as much attention to it before and just because it's sort of outside Scrooge's narrative particularly. Um
0: right. and you and you mentioned the like the bakeries thing. And this is right. so this is something you and I were if he does mention church or or things to do with church or religion, it's not usually great. Um, it seems like it's either, oh yeah, mm-hmm. and then they, they went to church and came back out. But at the, the moment that you're talking about, there's this, there's a wit to us at least, especially from this distance um, is like very strange scene in which, um, which uh, Scrooge accuses, right? Mm-hmm. accuses the ghost of Christmas present who is just like Father Christmas, right? It's just like the spirit right. of Christmas or whatever. Um, accuses him of like being a party to them, closing down um, shops, bakeries like this for the Sabbath, right, for uh, as a religious observance, as a Christian Mm -hmm. observance. Um, So you and I would be like, oh, Sabbath, (laughs) like we've talked about this in a previous pod, right? Like, oh, if only we could just take a Sabbath, right, and rest and not work and not like Mm -hmm. do all these things or whatever. what an important part of recognizing um, God's sort of gift of life and goodness and the things that we don't need to grasp after. But in this key for the poor, Dickens is basically taking this other line of, this is their one day off. And with everything closed, they don't get to enjoy the things that everyone else gets to enjoy during the week because everything's closed on their one day off. Right. (laughs) It's like they're being, they're having to observe this austere Sabbath when they haven't been able to enjoy anything during the week. And, and Scrooge sort of accuses the, the ghost of Christmas present as being a part of that right like that well you're sort of so you're sort of vaguely what spiritual forces Mm -hmm. right the good the good spiritual stuff that's supposed to be religious um has done this like why have you done this what is what is the response there because the ghost has a a peculiar it seems like yeah
1: well he says he says um you seek to close these places on the seventh day said scrooge and it comes to the same thing i seek exclaimed the the spirit forgive me if i am wrong it has been done in your name or at least in that of your family said scrooge Um, and the spirit says there are some upon this earth of yours who lay claim to know us and who do their deeds of passion pride ill will hatred envy bigotry and selfishness in our name who are as strange to us and all our kith and kin as if they had never lived remember that, and charge their doings on themselves, not us. And I think that it's a common theme in Dickens, and also in this book, um, specifically of, I can't, I don't want to call them well-meaning, because I don't know, but what it seems to be well-meaning arguments that actually hurt the poor more than they help. So this idea of everybody should have a day off. Well, mm. fabulous. But then if you close down the bakeries, then these people don't have access to ovens the one day a week they could heat up and they could roast a goose, you know? Um, and, or the idea of, you know, the workhouses of like, oh, well, instead of people, you know, starving in the streets we will open up the workhouses and they can, they can work and they will be paid. And so, you know, give dignity to the poor And then, as as we know, the Oliver twists of this just a nightmare scenario um, of of poverty and depravity. And Mm so, it's it's again one of those things where it does cause you to reevaluate as a reader. Because I would say, yeah, I would love if everybody could have a day off, but um, that could have unintended consequences because I'm just thinking about my position. I'm not thinking about people whose life looks very different from mine.
0: Yeah, I mean, like toxic charity or something, right? Yes. That yeah. idea that, and I, that's so, so wonderful about Dickens. I mean, this is, that's, that's very subtle stuff about sort of the ethics of, or like an equitable ethics, mm-hmm. right? Rather than a middle to upper class ethics of what is best for us is best for all in the way that it's best for us. Um, that disconnect, right? That precisely that disconnect that does not, ask or get down to see like wait what is life like and how could it be helped you know and that i and the old joke you know that the the christian you know the bus is going to come down and paint your church for the 17th time this year you know because we think that's probably the best thing in the world um and and it's like like you said even if well-meaning even if well-meaning
2: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. um just that what a, what an incredibly subtle but brilliant um sort of catch there about the lack of equity when it comes to even um, things that are meant to be a Christian good. I mean, that's literally what this is meant to be, right? It's meant to yeah. be like exactly what you and I said in a previous podcast about slowing life down and all the things that like, we're like desperate to take a day of rest to acknowledge who the Lord is. But it's so interesting when that is a mandate in a culture in which church and state are more or less the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and how that plays for people in their day-to-day life in this way. And yeah, the ghost, as you said, the ghost of Christmas present has like no time for that. I mean, he's not even like, he's not even like, well, <laughs> they're doing yeah. their best. He's like, I don't know them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I have no part in them. Uh, their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry, and selfishness in our name. So it's like maybe the best way to, the, in the best light, this would be maybe the selfishness, but like in that list, right? Like the 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 basic disregard for the actual lives of the poor. Um, I mean, it comes in for a brief, but as Dickens is so good at doing, an unbelievably pointed sort of condemnation and dismissal, okay. right? Like how how dare you think that that has anything to do with Christian charity, right? Or that has anything to do with, with the true Christian sort of spirit or force or whatever, um, right? Like, that's just an incredible, <laughs> it's such a, a strange indictment, but both of you and I were like, bakeries, Why? what's wrong with the bakeries? Why are the bakeries needing to be open? Um, yeah. But yeah, I love that. I love that just, this isn't, this isn't going to let anyone go, even if it's like, even if it's well-meaning people um, trying to enforce a good sort of Christian thing in public in the public sphere right like it mm-hmm. seems like it's such an incredible thing to be to think about um, especially at Christmas
1: right and is it it's the ghost of Christmas yeah it's the ghost of Christmas present with the whole or the strange moment of um, the children ignorance and want
2: right right
1: um, so this is I mean ignoring the the whole Cratchit scenario and everything. This, it, Then at the very end of the ghost of Christmas present, he's fading away because he only lives one day a year. That's his lifespan is a day. Yeah. Um,
0: may fly or whatever, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, and he, yeah, and he, from behind his robes, he pulls out two children, wretched, abject, frightful, hideous, miserable. They knelt down at its feet and clung upon the outside of his garments. And yeah, and they... He says, they are mans, and they cling to me, appealing from their fathers. This boy is ignorance, this girl is want. Beware them both in all of their degree. But most of all, beware this boy, for on his brow I see that written which is doom unless the writing be erased. Deny it, cried the spirit, stretching out its hand toward the city. Slander those who tell it ye. Admit it for your factious purposes, and make it worse, and bide the end. Have they no refuge or resource? cried Scrooge. Are there no prisons? said the Spirit, turning on him for the last time with his own words. Are there no workhouses? The bell struck twelve. Oh, ah, like, so
2: good. <laughs> it's devastating.
1: Oh, so yeah, the ghost of Christmas Present, full of jolly food, <laughs> right, overflowing right, right. geese, and then it ends with like these skeletal children are also the product of man's Christmas, and then he disappears.
0: Yeah, right. Doesn't say, now this is how you would fix that. He just completely, <laughs> yeah. And as you say, in mean, the quote, the, the the boy is is ignorance and that's worse because you and I were just uh, like, a, let's assume that people who instill a statewide Sabbath are well-meaning, right? right. Like, but ignorance is doom, right? Doom. Ignorance leads to doom um, rather than just, well, you know, they mean well, or they're sincere, right? There's no patience with that. And I love that you point out the, this is the other side of a very jolly, very literally you, see, you know pixie dust, Christmas uh-huh. spirit on every like nice thing that happens. He makes food taste a little bit better from home to home, right? Like all those that all those things that are good. Um, but but the truth is 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 there even when it's like devastatingly sh- like sharp, and and that idea that again that idea that ignorance is the worst thing. Because you could you could say you're doing one thing, but actually be doing the other, right? Yeah. Um, like, have you seen the workhouses? Here's the 1842, you know, or the 1843 report on, from the government on what's actually happening in the coal mines and the manufacturers, right? Yeah. Whereas we have a category maybe socially in our minds where, oh, well, that's a way for the poor to be able to earn so that they can get out of, you know, things like debtors prison or whatever. Um, but on the reality of what ignorance leading to that doom is
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, wow yikes uh, and i dare say i mean gosh uh, as a preacher i just want to be like what <laughs> so what for us would be you know the ignorance that is crushing yeah. people today but of course that's the point right like it really yeah. is the point to say what well meaning in our sense what well meaning christian things are we doing in the social spheres that are actually ignorant and harmful And, and that there won't be a good enough excuse to say, oh, well, I meant well, or I was sincere. It's like, well, it was devastating and it Mm -hmm. disregarded people's actual experience of life. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that is, that's something like that, that is truly haunting, right? Like that's the idea is that that will genuinely haunt us um, and ought to, because as you say, when he leaves, that's it. He literally just, that's it. He leaves you with your own word, Mm -hmm. your own justifications for why you behave the way you do. And then he's Mm -hmm. gone. Um, okay let's get to the last ghost um the last ghost Ghost
1: future a future a ghost of christmas to come or something like that right Right. the phrasing he uses the ghost of christmas yet to come
0: tell me about this ghost
1: um well i can't get away from just the adaptations I've seen, Um, but I think it's it's accurate to how he describes it in the book. Like, in my mind, I just am terrified. It's a terrifying image uh, from the Muppet Christmas Carol. I'm just like this Wraith thing. Yeah, right. It's like with a skeletal finger pointing at you, Um, just like bones. Uh, So it's very like Lord of the Rings. Uh,
0: (laughs) Even in the Mickey's one, right? Mickey's Christmas Carol, it's like Pete or whatever. And it's like, but he's in, he's got the cowl over his head. He's smoking a yeah. guitar. He also mm-hmm. does the pointing thing to Tiny Tim's grave and to the other he one. Does,
1: he doesn't speak. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. So every they're all kind of like, you know, they're not so bad. And then this one is just terrifying. Yeah. Um, and he shows him, I mean, I, I remembered the image of seeing his own grave and whatnot, but. What leads up to that is actually even more depressing of how um, nobody's sad when he dies. Right. The couple people are actually happy that Scrooge is gone because their debts have been
2: <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And right.
1: then his own servant women steal the sheets from under his dead body yes. to sell. And it's like, oh, and so also Ebenezer does not realize. So like, who? he keeps asking, who died? Like, come right. on Ebenezer come on Eb. um but yeah th- that is again the the desperation of the poor that they would steal the bed curtains um from where his body lay like
0: <laughs> right
1: <laughs> Oof, and yeah. he keeps and the and the spirit is uns does not speak keeps asking him questions and all he does is point yeah. um yeah scary very scary even as a kid and then reading it reading it now I just those images still in my brain
0: one of those things that stood out when I was reading parts of that government report that
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Dickens so angry it talked about um, young girls being down in the mines and in these factories and being you know basically in 19th century language abused right Right. but but it also talked about how crass they became as a part Mm -hmm. of the culture they were part of that they would be more vulgar, that they would be more yeah. sort of flippant about, you know, uh, of morality and everything else. Um, like it, it was, there were several moments that made that drew attention to that, to say, look at what we've done to them, mm-hmm. right? By putting them in these impossible places, they've adapted to these places, right? And 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 you know, I mean, like you can overplay that on one level but we we don't usually we don't usually go there very often I think as sort of at least the I don't know the generically middle class or evangelical kind of you know church I can I think of like the moralism that would say like oh this you know how like rap music is so like so vulgar it's so you know it's so awful <laughs> so brutal right like and of course right of course um right. but like this kind of disconnect of like like they' like they're they're there it's like it's you uh and you just decided you're gonna be really vulgar and you're really you know it's like disconnected from a life world at least right Mm -hmm. of like of of urban poverty of any number of like things that just don't affect the people who tend to hold their noses about certain kinds of sort of surface level sort of moral things like language and things like that it was really interesting reading a government report describing the vulgarity of these, these like young girls uh, in these mines and in these factories and how it was like, this is a condemnation on us as a mm-hmm. society that yeah. they have had to adapt to these conditions to survive and have, have lost whatever we might you know even stuffily call like decorum or manners or decency or whatever. It, it just struck me as like a really interesting thing in a government report not to blame like the people who were, you know, not to blame the girls for like having like foul mouths and stuff like that. They, right. they like could at least see like, oh my gosh, this girl has been down in a mine since she was eight years old alongside, you know, grown men, you know, who have probably mm-hmm. often abused her in a variety of ways just because of her vulnerability in that condition. And, and, and they didn't like hesitate to just say, this is a, this is a condemnation on this whole country. Uh, mm-hmm. That that we have we have created this scenario. It just that just struck me as like a, another unexpected sort of uh, moment, you know. And thinking about these things, and and when you just mentioned like. The poor, you know, who are by his graveside doing these vicious things, you know, they were like, Oh my gosh, like you did you unwrap him, you know? <laughs> How did yeah. you get that bed sheet? But yes, of course, you literally unwrapped him. And then the comment about like you took the drapes off and did you with the yeah. ring still on him, right? Yeah. Like was well, he still in the room when you did that? Like, even that like kind of awkward but sort of dark, sort of gallows humor moment with the poor and the maids that are in his house mm-hmm. uh, once he dies. It just struck me, just thinking of that alongside that even that government report, that Dickens is not he's not trying to make something sound nicer than it is, but he's also like there's a there's a subtlety about what you just said, which is like, so look, you know, look what it's like to have to survive, right? Like mm-hmm. pulling a bed sheet off of your rich math, you know, your rich yeah. poor And you're thrilled that you're out of debt all of a sudden.
1: Yep. Yep, and if if he had if he had paid them better, maybe they would have treated it better in death. But it was like he he left them with nothing. So yeah. we're gonna we're right. gonna take the rings off of their four poster bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we haven't we haven't talked much about the Cratchits, but obviously this is where we get the devastating scene oh of like uh, Tiny Tim is gone.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, there's no way around this. Like I was showing um my freshman Mickey's Christmas Carol just because, you know, I wanted to bring some joy into wow. their little lives right before finals uh ruins them. And I and and I mean like I, I don't know that anybody actually cried, but everybody in the room like started to get to a place you know Uh when Mickey literally takes like the crutch and puts it against the stone and has the saddest I mean the animation of Mickey's like eyes and how they like go wide with like the recognition of what he's doing and then they close with this tear like dropping out I mean it I, I literally watched it three times in one day because I had three classes and every time I'm like (laughs) <laughs> because like i have kids man like i don't like yeah. this is insane you know like it is the saddest thing in the universe oh. watching that moment like and i remember as a kid just being like oh my gosh how is this po- like how could this be you know like this this is a mickey cartoon how could th- how could i be oh. watching something about the possible like death of this little this little mickey crutchett you know tiny like mickey. i just i couldn't even get my head around it
1: one well, and then my again my my childhood version of this Muppets. was uh, Muppets and so it's Kermit and this wow. little baby Kermit little baby, baby
0: Kermit
1: oh and it's supposed oh. the same thing where he's got the crutch and then there's like oh and they leave it by the it's empty by the fireplace and they leave it there in memoriam to him and it's oh you know God. let's never let's never fight in honor of Tiny Tim and they're like <laughs> yes, right, yes right. we will be good forever to honor Tim, to honor it's just yeah i mean it is a little over the top i think if 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 what didn't hold such a sentimental place in the in the hearts of of all we would think (laughs) it's a little it's a little much but it works it works and even when it's um oh the version i i listened to one of those pre-audible versions you mentioned where there is a different actor for all the voices oh snap and that that scene where they're they're coming from church, and it's you know in the sermon, uh, they're talking about how Jesus heals the lame, and Tiny Tim is like, "Do you think maybe one day?" And you're like, "Oh,
0: Tim." <laughs> If they look upon a cripple like me, they will yeah. remember the one who made the, oh. the walk and the blind see. Oh, ah, Tim! No, you're
2: right. too he's good like, for this
0: world. Right, he's the he's like the one Christian, like <laughs> he's like the little
2: little Christian <laughs> kid. Oh, oh my
0: man. gosh! Well, and that's what, as you say though, that's what's so wonderful about about Dickens and maybe also the length of the story is that it is unbelievably sentimental right yes. and yet he can get away with it because there is so much in this story right there's mm-hmm. so much working that it wasn't just to deliver on that moment like you get the sense of just the variety even of you as you said of christmas present right the variety of types of people of locations of ways of living like like it's like london right like it's like it's a city full of stuff um and and it seems like to me because it doesn't just have that one sort of tunnel vision on Cratchit and Tim, you know, they're there and they're they're they show up several times, but, but it's almost like the world is big enough for that moment to, to still be there without the story like derailing, right? Like, we're just like, right. okay, <laughs> go ahead. <You> know, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's kind of amazing that he's able to sort of pull that off and, and that, and that we're all just like yeah we're, we're gonna we're gonna go with that that's fine <laughs> because i think we are I, I mean aren't we like that like isn't that isn't there something in us that's just like just so un- unbelievably sentimentalist and oh. like we linger over those moments whether you're young or old you just like you linger over like the most dramatic like moments or mm-hmm. you know you imagine your own funeral right you imagine like who's gonna oh, be yeah. there when i die like and what will they feel like <laughs>
1: Well, and especially at Christmas, I think there's a sentimentality that, at least, in um, you know, America, we we can we justify or excuse it a lot more at Christmas. Of like,
2: yeah, yeah. oh
1: well, I mean, it's Christmas, so I can watch this <laughs> knowingly terrible, sappy movie because it's Christmas, you know. So there is a certain hallmark
0: channel was born for Christmas, right? Like that's.
1: Ooh, man! Yeah. we could talk about that, but we we can't get into it.
0: That's a whole different vibe, right? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, but no, I think I think there is some of that. Like, it's okay to indulge it sometimes, um, and and to and to feel it. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but this year especially, I, I tend to be. Um, I don't know. I'm a little slow to warm up to the Christmas vibe, but this year, the day after Thanksgiving, I made. I went with my parents to get a Christmas tree. I like we put up the decorations. Like, I was like, this is happening now. This yeah. is, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I'm like, all in, I'm all in on the sentimentality this year. No, I think just no, the, the no need there's to celebrate. no
0: right. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you could tell everyone was like, yeah, we need to get we need Christmas, right? Like literally the Jonas Brothers came out with a song. I don't know if you heard this bad. I did and not. I, I, I'm just going to say it, a beautiful song, uh, a, a very classic Christmas sounding Christmas song. And it was literally called I Need You Christmas. And oh. it came out probably like beginning of November, maybe. <laughs> and I remember listening to it being like, ah, it's freaking Jonas Brothers, you know, whatever. And then like the first line was like, I need you christmas <laughs> i felt like i was gonna cry i was like oh <laughs> we all need christmas we need christmas so bad this year oh, it,
2: it, man. it was
0: a there's a zeitgeist right now with the old uh pandemic that man. people i mean everything's stripped away we're like oh my gosh i need some hope i need some joy i need yeah. i need me some advent right like i, I yeah. there's been a year of waiting for something and i think people are like um like my pastor must have been a week or two ago was just talking about how you know, this Christmas and the first Christmas are like not that far apart in, in the sense that like, it's so raw, it's so, you know, so many things that we hoped for, relied on, right, have been taken away, that, that sort of deep darkness, that like Isaiah 9, sort of mm-hmm. Matthew, you know, uh, darkness, that people long in darkness. Like I think of that, even just circling all the way back around with, with Scrooge, um, you know, it says in that passage of scripture, those who lived in the shadow of death, right, in that darkness, have seen a great light, right, Mm -hmm. upon them, this light has, has shown, and I just think, like, I've, like, I've sung that song, I've heard those verses, and yet there are moments, like, this year, in which you're, like, you know what, like, there is no way around this, like, we need Christmas to be true, like, we need Mm -hmm. Advent to be real, like, everything, like everything that this stirs in us about life, death, what we're doing, what, 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 what's hopeful, what's not, um, how other people live, it's been that kind of year. And, mm-hmm. and I, those of us, or those friends of ours at least, um, who observe sort of a more formalized advent, you know, of like mm-hmm. waiting and like giving things up, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm like a sloppy low churcher, you know, so I'm like, hey, pass the sugar. And people will be like, oh, I gave it up for Advent. I'm like, oh. Yeah. that sounds really like a really reasonable, like, uh, you know, good with the time sort of moment thing to do. And, and I really like just appreciate that, you know, whether we observe that as a, as a church or a, as a Christian, whether we observe that this year has been that. Right. Mm-hmm. The Lord has sort of called us all into that, whether we would have observed it or not. Mm-hmm. Right. That there has been this just removal, just this there, there's been a darkness, the shadow of death, which we've always lived under um, mm-hmm. in this world is now an inescapable part of our social reality. Right. I mean, we're trying desperately in certain corners to escape that reality, but it's 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 really hard to escape that those passages um, are for us as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, um,
1: and and I think that that's. I mean, I keep. I was thinking as I, I read the the final pages of a *Christmas Carol*. Right, the moment when he wakes up, <laughs> and it's the it's the Tolkien. What is it? Um, all sad things will become untrue. Is that Tolkien or Lewis?
0: I think it's Lewis. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. All all, all the sadness will come untrue. It's it's kind of that that moment of um. Oh, he wakes up, <laughs> and I I. I think I've heard it played comedically so many times that it's, um, gonna read it straight,
0: though. you're going to read it straight. I'm going to try. Yeah.
1: Um, I, he, sa- he says, I will live in the past, the present and the future, Scrooge repeated as he scrambled out of the bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees. So what a beautiful, I will live in the past, the present and the future.
0: That's an incredibly rich statement, right? <laughs>
1: and then, and then the the comedic line that um, when he you know calls out the window and is is like, "You boy, what day is it?" <laughs> He's like, "It's Christmas, sir." <laughs> and then the whole um, that prize turkey, the one as big as me. <laughs> like, classic so classic <laughs> like it's just been played out so many times but yeah. still so great of like what day is it yeah. it's christmas yeah um and then that chance to like be reborn and he's just giddy as a schoolboy and like prances around town all day having the time of his life yeah um and yeah it's just so beautiful and and i think that's what we're all desiring this year especially is like okay um we're going to we're going to like hide ourselves within christmas um, which is a story of yeah, all all the sad things coming untrue. Um, and, and we just seem to need it more than ever. So I yeah, I'm I'm always delighted by the ending, but I think especially this year where he's just sort of bouncing around town and um and genuinely grateful for, you know, the existence of everything. And he's charmed by everyone he meets.
0: Yeah. And I think that is, that's the connection, right? Like we've talked, you and I have talked a few times now about the crowded sort of busyness, expectations of our own age, of always needing more and more more Christmas. Certainly, you know, the caricatures are all true in our time. It took on the quality of the most materialist sort of indulgent celebration or whatever. But, but this is a time before that. Right, and and if you if you look at it, like just what you were saying, um, reading that, or but also what you were saying earlier, um, what is celebrated is simple. Very it's simple. it's like a good turkey. Like we were like like we can like it's it's comic, but it's like uh, like a, a meal for a family mm-hmm. to actually be full and enjoy. Like there there are not these are not indulgences in the way that we think of. There it's a form of it's a form of feasting or celebrating life, as you, as you were saying, like the, the way he appreciates every single person he looks at and talks to, like, like like he has never interacted with a person before, right? Like that that kind of coming untrue, you know, like all those whatever layers of selfishness over his lifetime. But in our own in our own moment of this of this sort of um, sequestered, you know, Christmas, mm-hmm. um, like. That's surely exactly the same thing the Lord's calling us to is, is the, not just the sort of somber um, or, or just sober sort of acknowledgement that, you know, someday Christ will return someday things will be good, but that Christ has already come into this world that Christ has, has, has brought us the gift of salvation and that these people around us, even if there's less than would normally be at our gatherings or in our homes or around our tables, like there isn't less of, of goodness. There isn't less of joy. There isn't less of the Lord in those same ways. Right. And in that sense, I think it, he can kind of, we can kind of go back to, to Dickens as maybe a way of celebrating um, even if it is, even if it feels a little, whatever, like it, there is something about just the celebration of the simple goodness of, of the things of life that the Lord has brought us that, I mean, that's that's surely what I need. <laughs> more, <laughs> more than I need whatever I had planned, right? Like right. whatever I had planned might have been fine, but surely the things that are good are still good. And the mm-hmm. things of the Lord that are good might be more clearly good now. Um, in a tough time like that. Um, give me some final words, Bat. How do you uh, what would you recommend if you were recommending to people? Um, I mean, we talked Muppets, we talked Mickey,
2: <laughs> oh, we talked
0: yeah. Audible. Um and yet, yeah. you said you listen to an audio version of various readings. Would you say there's nothing that replaces just sitting down with the book next to the fire? And-
1: I mean, sitting down with the book, yeah, it's pretty fabulous. If you're um, able to read aloud some sections, Let's it's go. that's pretty delightful too. Um, it's really, like you mentioned, it's a really accessible little novella. I mean, it's like a hundred pages. I think the audiobook's three hours. So even, I mean, as you're cooking your Christmas goose, you can put on the audio book and just, you know, um, make your pudding. And um, so, yeah, I I would say that, I would say if you have young ones, I mean, yeah, you can't beat them up at Christmas Carol to me with Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, so good.
2: Um,
1: So love that, Um, yeah. I don't know. I've seen live versions of it before, but obviously not this year. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just a delightful visit because as we talked about, you have an image in your head of what it is and then you read it and it's actually a lot more um, than you thought it was. So, and yeah, just shed a tear over Tiny Tim and just don't be ashamed of it, you know?
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes.
1: And, and think about, I guess, the, the cheesy but true thing that Dickens wants from you is think about where you can be generous this year. Um, you know, what are, especially in a year, I don't know, I'm buying way less gift this, gifts this year. I, I'm spending a lot less on like food and parties and everything else. So, you know, where, where can that go? Um, the need for um, assistance and, food banks and, and in, you know, health places are more than ever. So it's one of those, it offers a good reflective moment of like, oh yeah, what will my generosity look like, um, right now? Because I love one of the things I love at the, the end is that like, um, Scrooge essentially becomes like this mentor friend figure for the Cratchits. Mm. And, and sort of, you know, helps the children, I'm like, you know, find better stations in life. And I don't know, it's just like the whole, like, okay, how can what you have or what you're good at, be of assistance to, to these people. Um,
0: That's lovely, because it's a little more than just putting money in a particular location or whatever. It's,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's a relationship or it's, it's him, his involvement with that family. That, yeah. Yeah, is, is a, is a richer uh, yeah. Says he
1: was, he was like a second father to Tiny Tim.
0: Right. Right. Wow. That's right. Right. Yeah. So maybe that, that idea of, um, you know, the fact that the Lord has, you know, for Christians, like the Lord hasn't called us to survive or to just sort right. of figure out how to get through, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's called us to, to be there for other people, to be involved in other people's lives, to, to, to look out for other people, to notice Um, people who are struggling but also yeah just that that idea that our life is is for others and and uh, that and that we're free to to be able to have that kind of life because of he's already saved us right like we don't we don't have to just make it. We don't have to just sort of count, you know, how much we have left in the accounts or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's lovely. I think Dickens would be <laughs> furious if we, if we ended uh, just talking about our own private little uh, Christmas, you know, uh, joy yeah. or moment or whatever, um, without thinking of um, just the places that we live and the people that we live amongst and around. And uh, in our local communities, especially, I mean, we forget, but like 19th century London is is sort of huge as that is in my imagination, because so many of the stories I love come from that place. Mm -hmm. It's not a huge place, right? Like in some sense, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a walkable, you know, it's a, it's like a largely walkable city. and, And in that time would have been, you know, it would have been a not a town but not not this sprawling crazy impossible thing it would be it would be your your local place right like mm-hmm. a, that it still was that and that his appreciation dickens appreciation for people's lives as they actually are sort of mirrored in scrooge actually just looking at his neighbors and talking to them you know i think that's definitely been uh, one of the themes that uh, the lord's been working on for a lot of us this this year is to just look around where we are and who we live with. And my kids, we took over some cookies that, um, my wife was concerned that the kids had, had added too much stuff, you know, to the cookie. Um, and, uh, and yet it was like really important, you know, for the kids to be able to right. bring that to our neighbors. And so I took it over to them a couple of days ago and I, you know, I had that moment where I'm like, I'm with the kids. And so I want to be like, hey, so you know, this is wonderful thing they did. But I'm also like the grown up, I want to be like, um, they might not be that good. You know, like, I'm trying to almost right. to them about the cookie or whatever. And, and like, uh, a day or two later, um, our neighbor, um, she comes out and she, she like stops us as we we're like, uh, getting in the car. And she's like, we love those cookies. And wow. I'm like, oh really (laughs) she's like unfortunately we ate all of them and like there was quite a few and I was thinking oh my gosh like I needed to just like go with it you know I needed to just appreciate that my kids made that you know with love and (laughs) actually was really enjoyed and that that was the point rather than me being like wow yeah it's the
1: it's the ghost of Christmas present right like i Anything you make at Christmas is taste fabulous.
0: It tastes that much better. That's, that's right. That's right. Uh, well, Miss Laura Basson, thank you so much for uh, for for being our own sort of ghost of Christmas present, like leading us around this lovely story and 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 for giving us good things to think about and and uh, encouraging us to read and reflect on. It. Especially, I love what you said: read out loud. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the, one of the most uh, crucial and beautiful stories. Uh, that, that anybody probably is familiar with, but it's certainly uh, a Christmas classic for a reason. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank
1: you for, for having for having me and letting me talk about this and, and letting us transport back in time a little bit was much needed adventure. And I, I would be remiss if I, yeah. there's only one way to end, yes. David Woods, you know how yes. this has to end.
0: I'm ready, yeah.
1: God bless, God bless us, us, everyone. God bless everyone, <laughs>
0: yes, amen. that's our time my friends if you would like to support the podcast please do subscribe and rate us on itunes and if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast head on over to from love.com click on newsletter and sign up there until then many thanks to producer zach leach for all the twists and turns and to Lonesome and Muddy, the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse. This has been From Babylon with